Welcome to another episode of Consider This. Again, we're doing this socially distanced, so we have uh, four cameras here on the stage. I don't think we have a camera that shows all of us at once, so I will tell you to my left is Justin Ebert, and to my right are Drew Moss and Jim Johnson. And uh, our subject for today is... We're not is relationally distanced or spiritually distanced, mm. just socially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Put that on a church sign. We yeah. need to get that on the I'm gonna church put it on a coaster. There. Are we socially distant or physically distant? Whoa. Ooh, man, this got meta real quick. I like it. Um, we don't know what we're going to be talking about today. The texts are in here, and uh, I'm going to pull one out. And um, if you haven't seen the last episode, this is, uh, or listened to the last uh, episode, this is a jar full of passages from the Bible that are either um, overlooked or interesting, or really important, or even some are hard to deal with. And um, our, our kind of agenda is to just pull one out, spring it on these guys, and um, we are going to walk through a little bit of the process of coming to a passage in the Scriptures and breaking it down, trying to discern what it is that it means, and then what it is that it infers or uh, applies to, and what we do with it. So, ready? I'm ready. Okay. Our first, and maybe only text, <laughs> Genesis 32, boom, verses 22 through 31. So this is my fav- one of my top, maybe five sermons is from this text. Calvin okay. Miller, uh, not our good brother Calvin Miller across town at Mount Zion, um, uh, he, but uh, the other Calvin Miller who wrote a number of books. Yeah, preached preaching, a great sermon on this. You might be able to go online and find it. Uh, it was in the Preaching Today series called Encounter at Jabbok yep. is the name of the sermon. And it's a great sermon describing a struggle that we might all have in believing. He kind of describes his struggle in believing uh, in, in God and in the greatness of God as a, as a young young pastor. Hmm. It's a great sermon. So Encounter at Jabbok, if you want to take a look at it. So we have, we're, this is found in Genesis 32, verses 22 through the end, which goes down to 30. Um, actually, I have through 31 written down, but it looks like it goes through 32, actually. So a typo on my part. Drew, do you want to read this for us? I'll do quick? it, man. 22 to the end? Yep. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives his two slave women, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream along with all his possessions. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they were wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he answered, Why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then named the man, uh, named the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, he said, yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, limping because of his hip. That is why, still today, the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket, because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. Okay. 
So a famous story, but uh, a lot of bizarre stuff going on in here. So Justin, situate us in the overarching story of the Bible. Where, where, where's Jacob at here? So we kind of talk about creation, fall, redemption, restoration here at Sunnybrook. So same book of the Bible where creation and the fall happen, as well as the flood, as well as the splitting, dividing of the nations at the Tower of Babel and the establishment of God's people through which he is going to bless all nations. So Jacob is now Israel. He's one of the descendants of Abraham, who is the one through whom Jesus will eventually come. So key figure in Genesis, key figure in the Old Testament narrative, key figure in the biblical narrative. Yep. Yep. So Genesis, you have you have, I think, five major characters. You have Adam slash Eve, you have Noah, then you have Abraham. Isaac only gets really one chapter of airtime, tw- chapter 26. I think you preached a sermon on that a long time ago when we were kind of well, he really we 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 breezed through Isaac to get to yep. Jacob. And then Joseph gets more airtime than anybody at the end of Genesis. So, so those are the big players. So Jacob is Abraham's grandson. Okay. So what do we notice when we, when, like, what are some of the questions that jump out of this text initially? So you're, a, you're a, a faithful attender of Sunnybrook. You've been studying the Bible for years. You read this text. What are some of the questions that kind of hop out initially? I think whenever we hear the name Jacob, um, again, trying to think contextually about it, that the, the, the concept of Jacob would be uh, in the entire Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, mm-hmm. the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I think we so hear that phrase yeah. that we fail to recognize that Genesis unfolds. It's the God of Abraham, the God of Abraham, the God of Abraham. And then he has a son. Uh, no, he has two sons. Mm-hmm. And so is it going to be the God of Abraham and Isaac or the God of Abraham and Ishmael? Yeah. So what is it going to be? And so there's a tension that unfolds in the Genesis narrative. So it's the God of Abram, and then the God of Abram and, oh, great, it's Isaac. Mm-hmm. The God of Abraham and Isaac. The God of Abraham and Isaac. And then the same thing unfolds. Yeah. It's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Esau? Esau? No. Nope. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when this happens, you see in the Genesis narrative, you actually see it being surrounding the blessing. Yes. So the the desire of the blessing. So the blessing is what starts in Genesis 12 when God pulls out Abraham from his people to send him to a new land where he will bless him. Isaac is then blessed. And Jacob is all about, go back and think of all the great narratives about Jacob, and it's all about a blessing. He steals Esau's birthright, but then he steals his blessing from his father, and his father can't even undo it. Father, get, remember, Esau grabs him, give me a blessing too, and he's like, all I have for you is actually this rather rough yeah. description of you going to serve your brother, so I don't have a blessing for you. Which, maybe stop right there and, and help us understand that, because I think we read that, and we're like, why doesn't he just bless him too? And we have a very different concept of the power of words and yeah. like verbal pronouncements yeah. than you see in Genesis. So tease out, what is the significance of a blessing? I mean, it's, it's nebulous, but it's there. Right? Yeah, and I, uh, there's a part I don't know. There's a part, and I've read about it, and I, I, I don't know if I totally nail it down. And I think mm-hmm. it's a lot of it is because of my own custom. It's like, well, just throw another one in there. Yeah. And that doesn't seem possible. I, I think when looking back at that, particularly in the Jacob story, is the pronouncement that is made at the very beginning to um, to his mom, 
And so you have with, uh, uh, with uh, Rebecca, you have this incredible pronouncement that in your child, in your womb are two nations, and the younger is going to be the one who will rule over the older. And you have the two, so that whole idea of, and, and it looks like Rebecca has an insight into this. We don't know if Isaac does, but Rebecca does have an insight into this. And it seems like that is what's being played out, yeah. is that God's predictive promise of what's going to happen to Jacob. Um, and then how does that play out? Like, why does Esau despise his birthright? Yeah. So Esau does a number of things that are destructive and are rebellious against God. And although Jacob is a swindler, uh, his name is important. His name Schemer. means supplanter uh, or deceiver. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Yaakov means uh, in, the, in the Hebrew. Which is also the root of James, right? Which is the root of James. Mm-hmm. I know. It's funny because James is, I think, known as uh, faithful friend. <laughs> And I'm like, really? Because it's taken from deceiver. <laughs> but so I think that's a big thing. So this idea of wrestling with this angel and he will not let him go until he blesses him. Think about that. Like we, we still don't know. He's about to encounter his brother, right. Esau, who he swindled, who they ended up leaving yeah. because of Jacob's mishandling of their relationship where it's caused nothing but strife and problems. And Jacob assumes that Esau is coming with a military force. He's, and he's got 400 be very men with him. Yes. So you tell me what that plan is. Yeah. Yeah. And Jacob's got his wives and his Kids. 11 children. Yeah. Um, Good luck. One of, the, one of the interesting threads that runs through Genesis is which kid gets the blessing. And it, it's fascinating how consistently God is doing things contrary to the to the customs of man. So typically, you know, um, I'm, I'm a firstborn in my family, so I would receive the bulk, even if not all of the inheritance in my family, according to ancient custom. And that's not the case with Isaac, secondborn, although legitimately through, the, you know. And then not the case with Jacob, not the case with um, Jacob's kids, Judah, the fourthborn is the one who will rule over everything, mm-hmm. and uh, and of course Joseph is is kind of this interesting thing. So you have just this interesting array of families, and it really is just one family line that Genesis cares about, and it, it's never the the son you expect it to be yeah. according to custom. It's the second king of Israel. It's yeah. not the first. Yep. yep. Right. So it's interesting. So um, what do we do with this uh, kind of, uh, I think another question that comes up really quickly is, who is this man? Yeah, is, is he an angel? Is he God in the flesh? Yeah. Right? That's a big Which one be to deal the- with. A, known as a theophany, if God appears. This is not the, this is, if, if that's the case, it's not the incarnation, Jesus in the flesh. It would be a theophany, an appearance of God. So what, where, what do we think here? Do we want to answer that, or we want to just go through the questions first? What do you want to do? I don't. I think that's a question. Who is this? <laughs> you know. I. I'll just say it quickly. I'm. I am still an angel guy. Okay. So I believe it was an angel of the Lord, not the pre-existent Christ. So a powerful, supernatural being. Yeah. Why do you land there? Um. I have not totally bought the. Uh, Angel of the Lord references are God Himself in the second part of the Trinity, and I and I don't know why. Uh, there are times when I read that, I kind of go, oh maybe, and then at the very end, I'm like, nah, I don't think so. Yeah. So I, I I wish I could say, and I land squarely, surely upon it. I really, really don't. Um, 
what yeah, makes you're, you're, it what makes it tricky in this, and and this is kind of one of the issues you see in the Old Testament is the angel of the Lord is this specific character that seems to come up, or it seems to be referred to as that. Yep. And I don't even know if actually the angel of the Lord is used in this. Uh, but when the angel of the Lord does something, you'll see the text intermingle between the angel of the Lord did and God did, okay. or the angel of the Lord said and God said. And so that's where, that's where I think some people have yep. gone to, well, this seems to be, God Himself, but if it's not God the Father, then and and they kind of go going down and go, well, what member of God has come down in human form um, of the Godhead, and 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 that's Jesus. What, what does get tricky, and you see it here. He wrestles with this man, and then it says because he wrestled with this man, he gets the name Israel, meaning struggled with God, wrestled with God. Um, but what gets tricky is. We don't know for sure, but we do know that who whoever this figure is, they operate on behalf of God in such a way yep. yeah. that you can say God did this when this person did. They are they are a representation of at the least of of God and His presence in that place. There, the there's a book called Two Powers that Michael Heiser references in his book on the unseen realm, and it makes the case for there being a a case for Judaism accepting kind of this two powers idea that there is Yahweh God and there is this representative of his that is has the same powers as God and even at times is worshipped as God, which, you know, in the New Testament we see a big problem where people start worshipping Jesus because they think, well, how could he? Well, this makes the case that there are times in the Old Testament where this figure who they seem to be looking at face-to-face -face and taking on uh, in various narratives, whether it's Abram and Lot and fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah um, or others, like here in Genesis 32, that there's actually a, a pre-existing uh, pre example of we are able to worship beings that are not at the same place at the same time. And so how can that be? And oh, so you're saying that this... Is that concept could work in our favor when we talk about the plurality of the Godhead? Sure, that, there, th that it didn't just pop up all of a sudden in the first century A.D., that actually there were Jews and even scriptures that pointed to this possibility and this reality. Because, yeah, it does use in this text the phrase man and then uses the phrase, and then I've seen God face to face and lived, right? Those are, those are hard to, to get around. So I, I'm probably like on the opposite side of Jim. I'm not ready to go 100%. This is always, every time the angel of the Lord is mentioned, every time there's something miraculous done in the Old Testament by one of these figures, it's definitely the second member of the Trinity. But I'd probably be on the opposite side of middle. From See, it's interesting because if, if that's the case, then in this, in this narrative, it, ha it can't be Jesus because he's just referred to as a man twice. So it's never the angel of the Lord. It's a man and a man. And then God. No. He says he wrestled with God, or he seen God face to face, but, but, but there's, no effort, there's no reference to the angel of the Lord. It's just a man and a man. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the, that's the reason why... You know, I, I get the case for it, and I'm and I'm I'm almost swayed, and then I'm like, eh, I mean, I don't know. Well, yeah, and I even wonder if it's kind of one of those details that uh, a Western mind obsesses over. Oh yeah. And Jacob like, uh, not not 
the point of the story I was telling. I was I was going to say that. I was going to say it's clearly not the the interest of the story. So I think that's one of the reasons why I don't chase that rabbit too far yep. is because I don't think this text is trying to argue for the second person in the Trinity to have had a pre-existent Yeah. Yeah, anything. I get I get a lot more hung up on say like the three men that visited Abraham. Like that's where I really that that question becomes a lot more interesting to me, which is a totally different. So text. I guess the other big question that would come up as I'm reading this is why would God, either God himself in taking on flesh for a moment or God sending one of his representatives come and wrestle Jacob? Like, why did that need to happen? Why did, why did a wrestling match need to happen where he jacked up his hip? What, what's the purpose of that? Yeah, and I think what you have in these, I've, I've thought about that a lot, because you also have when he leaves. Um, so when, whenever Jacob goes in and out of the land, he has weird encounters with God. So remember the ladder. Mm-hmm. So that's when he's on his way out, and this is the one when he's on his way in. And so you wonder sometimes, you know, and if I can just say here, I, I wonder sometimes how much these are spiritual struggles or physical struggles or spiritual struggles that manifest themselves in physical struggles. Hmm. So it appears like, I, I think this is a literal event. It seems to be describing it as a literal event. It seems to be pointing to a much deeper spiritual reality yeah. that's, that's actually happening. Yeah, and, and I don't know that I can answer specifically the wrestling thing. But, but I'll try to talk my way around it and see if I land somewhere. Um, I do think, you know, the importance of this, and, and Jim touched on it, uh, you know, but, but is, is seeing this in the context that it's in. Um, that is, this isn't just kind of a random thing. It's as he's coming back into the land. It's also coming full circle with, uh, with this, the narrative that gave the yeah. most meaning to his yeah. name. Yep. Which was the deceiving of Esau when he deceived Esau and then he deceived Isaac and Esau says, "Is he not rightfully named Jacob because he's a deceiver?" Yeah. And so it's really fascinating. So he 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 was rightfully named Jacob because he's a deceiver and now he's about to meet Esau, the one he deceived and and proved his name right. And right before he meets Esau, he meets God. And what's the question God asks him? What is what, your what name? What is your name? Yeah. Um, hmm. and, and he makes Jacob say it out loud. Yeah. He makes Jacob say what he is out loud. And, and I, I, I wonder if there's something to, if there's oh. a, just this, this kind of, yeah, you got it. I'm, I'm Jacob. I'm, I'm a deceiver. I'm a tripper of people. I, you know what I mean? And, and in this moment, when Jacob leaves the land, he is this one, he is, he is that. He is a deceiver who has done everything his own way, and it's wrecked his family and all of those things. And now he's coming back, and, and God is, he's encountering God. And, and, and the wrestling specifically, I don't know, except for that it fits with what, with what God is going to, to say about him and therefore about all his people, Israel, yeah. his yeah. descendants from there on out, as they are those who struggle with God. I feel um, like there's something somewhere I could read historically with this statement, I will not let you go until you bless me. It seems like that's almost reaching into some kind of a historical referent, right? I.e. that this is what people did, that people 
uh, struggled with or uh, you know held on to mm. and wanted so desperately. I mean, that's what you really get with Jacob is somebody who wants desperately a blessing. He's willing to steal. He's willing to deceive to make sure this yeah. happens. And yet, it's not because he doesn't have anything. I mean, he's wealthy. You can't look at this without realizing, man, he's really taken care of himself all the way through. Um, so it's not like he's going, I really want a nice car. Give me a nice car. He, he wants something more, it seems like, which God seems to honor. For mm-hmm. you have struggled with God and overcome. I always think that's even stranger. Yeah. It's like, it should actually say you struggled with God and it was a draw. Yeah. But it's you struggled with God and overcame, so I will give you the name Israel. Yeah. There's there's certain, you know, as as we're not just talking about this, we're also trying to put forth ways in which we want you all to study the scriptures. Some of this historical context stuff is things we've studied before that you can't necessarily just draw from the text itself. So one of those things, those historical contextual things, um, is that, you know, when Abram is going through Egypt and he's trying to say, hey, this is my sister, and we kind of see that as cowardice, and he's being uh, not very faithful or brave. Actually, there's precedent for in that day, if you were to deceive someone and be blessed as a result of it, you were actually like, oh, wow, good job. You did it. Way to go. <laughs> you know, it was almost like no one's mad at you for that necessarily. It's a it's one up arm- you. Yeah, it's pretty. You've one up me. You, yeah. you did good. You outsmarted me. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how much here. I mean, this is playing back. As you mentioned, you made me think of this. What was Jacob doing when he was coming out of the womb? Right? He was, yeah. He's grabbing, he's grabbing, he's grabbing, yeah. he's grabbing the heel, right? Mm. He's wrestling with, as, as you mentioned, going after that blessing, even from the very start. And when you said Esau, what did he do to, to his father? He's, he's almost you know, grappling with him. It's like, mm-hmm. give me this blessing. I, I think you're right. I think, you know, circling around the wagon, I think that's pretty good. He's playing off of his past, looking forward to what's to come as well as a representative of the nation of Israel, as well as his own story and the narrative. Yeah. And there's this, like, confession of what you've been this whole time. All right, yeah. dude, tell me. Yeah. Um, says, bless me. And then the man, God, whoever says, says, all right, tell me, tell me who you are. Tell me what you've been. <laughs> Um, Say my name. Yes. Well, and there's a there's a thing. I think even because then you see actually, I think there is something to names because then Jacob says, "Tell me yours," and he won't tell him. And there there is something in kind of Near Eastern ancient thing with names. Yes. This idea of yes. holding a name is kind of holding power mm-hmm. and that significance. And and Jacob has to give his to the man, but the man doesn't have to give his to Jacob. And and there's almost like I think some level of a submitting. Rather than I'm just going to, I'm just going to uh, weasel my way through everything from here on out. A little bit of a submitting to, I I just got to let this man who it's weird because it says you've wrestled with man and with God and prevailed, and yet we know. I mean, with a touch of his finger, his his hip is out of socket, and so it's yeah. not like the dude is just like can't handle Jacob, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. Yep. And so there's something about it. I think it the idea is more of a you're relentless in holding on to me. You're not going to stop, and and it's almost more of that instead of you conniving and figuring your way through this. Um. Are you going to come back into this land and? And kind of submit yourself to me and trust me to give you the blessing rather than you uh, wringing it out of people's hands and those kinds of things. So, you know, the other, the other thing that's really important in Old Testament narratives, n- narratives, but Old Testament, you've got these um, 
think Lord of the Rings, you've got these uh, epic journeys in which these guys are on this trek, and you really have to trace it through. So going back to the Abraham, you definitely have the one-upmanship, but I still remember a grad professor helping me realize, so what's happening with Abraham? And it's actually Abram to Abraham, father to father of many. And every time Abram puts his wife, who will be the one who will give out his children, notice that every time Abram lies, he puts his wife in jeopardy of getting pregnant at the hand of another king. And God is the one that intervenes. Hmm. So it's not just so much that he didn't trust God and he was a coward. It's that he's putting the promise in jeopardy. And who is the one that is constantly protecting the promise? Mm -hmm. And it's God who comes down and threatens kings. So he's the one constantly defending. But what is he really defending? He is defending the question, who is the one that made Sarah pregnant? Who's the one that is the one that's fulfilling blesses his... Her womb blesses and, her yeah, womb. Blesses her womb. And so notice how in those narratives, it's very, very clear. And no one slept with Sarah. Like, why is that a big deal? And we're going, well, because sex is bad and sex is wrong. I mean, not so much in this context. How many wives does Jacob have? Exactly. So you've got <laughs> two wives and two slave women that, that uh, Jacob has used to kind of stretch out his, uh, you know, his descendants. All of which become the tribes, by the way. And here you have, you know, in Abram's story, something deeper that's happening. So whenever you're looking, look at how there is growth within the individual. And here's what I find interesting. So before the text began, and then after the text is, notice what is very different about Jacob. And so when reading the narrative, it seems that what you have, it gets a little complicated, but what you literally seem to have is old Jacob, which is, so earlier in 32, he is, he is figuring it out. Okay, Esau is coming at me, and he's going to be coming from that side of the river. And so I'm going to send out my family, and I'm going to send out my family with the ones that I don't like the most first, and I'm going to send them with sheep. And so as Esau is coming at me, he's got to deal with, um, he's going to be collecting my family, so to speak, and all of these sheep, and I'm going to hear them coming, and I'm going to be at the end. Like if you look at it, if you look at it he is still Jacob. Supplanter, deceiver. He's still strategizing. Not, how he's to strategizing. He's not really trusting God to take care of him or God to bless him. Even though before he left the land, God promised that he would. But Jacob's still kind of in control, and he's doing this. And even on that night, he sends his family across the Jabbok, and then he himself is now alone on the other side. So should Esau come, he will hear him coming, <laughs> and he'll sacrifice his family. But in the end, it's like, I'm, I'm going to take care of myself. And then notice how, and this is what I absolutely love, if you go on and look at chapter 33, verse 3, is the new man. And in 33.3, in it actually says, and he himself went on ahead and bowed to the ground. So it's like something changed. Instead of the plan, which is going to be, I'm going to sacrifice everything and I could possibly get away. After wrestling and knowing that God will bless him, Jacob goes on ahead. Mm. And so there appears to be an indication that we have a new man, somebody who's willing to trust God with his new name. I never really saw, I mean, I wish I could go and I figured that out. I, someone else much greater than me showed me how to read the narrative in a level I, I was never really looking at. And pay attention, like kind of plot out what's going on in the story 
Um, and I remember 33-3 going, wow, this really is a different person with something rather that might appear to you and I insignificant, and he want, went out on ahead. If you walk through the story, you really see conniver to trusting individual. So I was just looking at, like, where, where else in the scriptures is face of God mentioned? So what does it mean when David in the Psalms or someone says, Lord, turn your face to me? What does that mean? Like, what is that uh, image? Like, bless me, bless or favor. bless me, or save even. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there is there is literally like, Lord, when you're looking upon me as your servant, as your mm. son, that is my salvation. Like your your attention toward me, and so that's that's interesting that this might be one of the first places in the scriptures that it starts this new theme of yeah. Lord, may your face shine upon me. May I receive your blessing. May I receive the salvation which only can come from you. And we see it, it's interesting that it comes on the heels of that wrestling match. Yeah. All right. Uh, I mean, is this a story that we read and it's got um, narratival and historical significance? Or is this also a story that we read and it has like contemporary applications? You, you probably would have preached this, this narrative, what, three, four years ago? When we were going through the gospel of the patriarchs, yeah. which, by the way, when anytime the Bible references the patriarchs, it's these three: it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph is not the considered fathers. a patriarch. Yep. Um, so, what do you do with this? Is there is it? Does this drive the narrative and tell us something about God and about what He's doing through Israel, or is there like uh, not like a moralized principle? Yeah. The these passages, I remember when we were preaching through them. We found the applicational side very difficult, and yeah. it, it felt like we were telling a story more than, than instructing. You know what I mean? There would be, there would be a kind of over-the-top way of trying to do this where you make a big deal <coughs> Excuse me. out of the, the wrestling, and sometimes you're going to have to <laughs> wrestle with God, or sometimes in life you're going to have to not let go until yeah, he blesses yeah. you, those kinds of things. And you could go, you could get a little bit silly by trying to go too deep into all yep. the details of it. But I do think there's something to be said. Uh, obviously, this is bigger picture. This is revealing the yep. character and nature of God, yep. and yep. he is seeing his promises through to bless these people so that they can bless the world. And this is, this is one step in that process. But I think if you wanted to, I think you can, I think you can look at this idea of that it is hard to encounter the real God and yep. leave unchanged. Yeah. Um, that, yes. that when a person does this, yeah. you know what I mean? We talked about this uh, with the table. We were in Genesis a couple years ago with our college students, and we just talked about, you know, Jacob leaves here limping, um, and, and he's probably limping for the rest of his life and hurting stuff. But just there are worse things that could happen to you, namely never encountering God at all. And that kind of idea of like, like that, you know, whatever it may, whatever it may cost him, um, in this and in all the other stories that happen, um, meeting Yahweh and Yahweh walking beside him is the bigger deal and, and really does make a difference. So I think there's something to be t spoken about encountering the real God and being changed by him, even if it means submission and, and, and heartache sometimes and things yeah. like that. So. And I think Jesus kind of says as much proverbially whenever he talks about it would be worth losing your eye or to cut yeah. off a hand if it means gaining the kingdom. Yeah. We can't. We can't get ourselves into the story. I mean, I think that's the, one of the, one that's of the things that... So the, the overarching idea of the Bible is um, Jacob was not able to, out of nowhere, 
supplant God's plan through Abraham. Okay, so he had to follow in the line. Okay, so it was, it was either going to be Jacob or Esau. It was either going to be Isaac or Ishmael. It couldn't be Trevor from the Hittite Valley. Okay, so you can't just <laughs> by sheer determination yeah. get your way into the plan of God. Yeah. So I, I do like that. But biblically speaking, there really is an admiration um, uh, or an appreciation. And I'll say this, like an appreciation from God for those who desire him. Like God honors that. And so I do like the fact that although um, God chooses out of his sovereignty and God chooses out of his prerogative all of these wonderful things, we see consistently the Lord... um, uh, it's such a strange statement, but the Lord admiring a persistent mother who is after him and after him for a blessing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's amazing to me that God, knowing full well all things, still turns and says to those who will pursue him at all cost and say, listen, I get it. I get that I'm just a, a dog on the outside, but even a dog is grateful for the scraps that fall from the table. Yep. And Jesus looks at this and says, I've not seen faith like this in no, Israel. Israel. Yeah. So I, I love that. I, I think there can be something um, without, without just going like a, a moralistic principle, the Bible consistently lifts up and honors those of us who recognize just how desperate we are without hmm. God and want to, in a Jacob-like way, just hold on to him and say, I know that I don't deserve, and I know that I am nothing without you. I just cannot let you go. Bless me too, Father. Like, weirdly enough, stealing Esau's line, (laughs) bless me too, Father. There's something that is actually, I think, rather redemptive and and beautiful in that, that God seems to consistently in the Bible honor that. I think not not the main point of this text, but another applicational side of this is the last few verses make a point about the limp, the hip. Yeah. He says, you're going to continue to limp. Yep. Why? Why? And why don't they eat the thigh muscle anymore? It's, be, it's to remember something. Yeah. Uh, for, for that people and people in general at that time, there were these visual aids, these physical aids that were supposed to point us to something else. And so you would build a pile of rocks to remember something special. You would, Your Ebenezer. You would, yeah, you would, you would have these special types of clothing that would rem- remind you of who God was or what he had done for this people. And that limp for him may have been this constant reminder every step of who God was and what he had done. And every time that they butchered some animal, they wouldn't eat that part so that they could remember who God was and what he had done through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I think forward to even Paul's uh, describing of this this pain in the side that he'd asked to go away and to go away and to go away, and God said, no, I'm going to let you keep that. My grace is sufficient. Yeah, my grace is sufficient for you. Your uh, we, My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so I just see, I see some of those kind of connections. Again, not the main point of this text, but something to help us draw that theme through the rest of the scriptures as well. Any biblical story, um, we keep God at the center. Be very, very careful. And I don't care. I mean, other and, and when I even say that, Jesus is God, so you can keep Jesus at the center, right? Other than that, make sure you're your heroes of the faith stay in their proper place, which is under the, the, the sovereign direction and judgment of God. We have to keep them there because if not, you're really prone 
to a dangerous kind of moralizing or principalizing of the text. And so it's good to keep um, the best of them, Abraham, Moses, keep them on the human side. Paul, human side. Peter, human side. Make sure they stay there, because if not, you're in serious danger of misunderstanding the text and believing that you have a human power to wrestle with God and to not yeah. overcome. I mean, you need the story of the um, the revelation that Jacob is going to be the one that his and his mother heard that, um, and so that's that's what's governing this, not Jacob's sheer willpower. And if your parents out there, especially with small children, watch out for that Bible heroism in your kids' Bibles. Um, it can sneak in there, especially if they're doing their own like summaries of stories instead of using the NLT or CS or like an actual biblical text. It can be really easy for. David to slay Goliath in his own power, and then they draw some interesting conclusions from that. Steve, I um I did not start a timer, so I don't know if we have time for another. I don't think so. Okay. Um, well, we will come back at another point. We've got some other podcasts that we have um, planned for uh, for the next few weeks uh, to a month. We've uh, we've kind of. Um, took a little bit of a break there at the end of the summer, but we've got some ideas, and we will also do more of these type episodes. Um, and we'd love some feedback too. So if this is interesting, let us know. If it's if you if you got text that you would actually think would be fun to put in the bowl, let me know. Don't tell these guys; they don't need to know. Um, but reach out to me. And um, other than that, we love you guys. See you next time. <laughs>